Hi, this is Kev Lakes Walker, and you are about to hear a podcast of an interview that appeared on Shades of Blues here on The Cat. And there will be plenty more as we delve into the archives. Sit back and enjoy. Okay, I'm delighted to say I'm now joined on the phone by Leila Zoe, um, formerly from Canada, but now living in the Netherlands. Leila, are you well? Well, as well as anyone can be, <laughs> as well as any musician can be at this time, I'm doing pretty good. Thank you so much for asking. It has been very, very strange times and frustrating for yourself amongst other people because you just released this new album, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, for me, I sort of knew that this album would be released, you know, in a strange time. But the reason I went forward with making the record still, which I know many artists decided not to make their records, you know, in 2020 or could not for different reasons, the reason I went ahead and still did this project was because of the situation that we were in. I wanted to bring musicians together. I wanted to co-write with different people, you know, uh, in different locations, and then, you know, create this project that showed that musicians can still create under difficult circumstances, which we already know because when musicians are touring, they're expected to adapt often to many different circumstances. And so this is just another time when I see musicians doing amazing things under difficult circumstances. So I was glad that I went through with the making of the record uh, because um, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot, as I always do when I'm uh, making records. And also I knew it would be released with possibly the chance of not being able to tour it. But the reason also that I made the record was for the fans to have new music because I think that it's not just the musicians that are suffering right now. So I wanted the fans and the people that are missing live concerts and just the people that are having difficulty in their lives for whatever reasons to be able to yeah have some new songs to listen to new songs that might bring them hope or might make them feel connected yeah the therapeutic powers of music has been well documented so yeah i absolutely totally agree uh we'll come back to your latest release but let's give people a bit of background information about you the artiste you grew up pretty much surrounded by music didn't you because your father had a, a wonderful collection and love of the blues yeah, my dad really loved music. We listened to it all the time in the house when I was growing up. You know, during dinner in the daytime, uh, he was playing his guitar or playing some harmonica. He was writing songs. And he, I mean, he loved all styles of music, not just blues, but his record collection was kind of my first introduction to a lot of wonderful artists that I still listen to today. So, you know, some kids, they listen to their parents' music and they go, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I had the opposite reaction and I really you know, fell in love with a lot of the music and particularly then I, I got deeper into a love for the music from the 60, late 60s and 70s. Um, so then I was starting my own record collection, you know, at age, you know, 12, 13, 14, whatever, buying my first records and had my record player down in the basement in my bedroom when I was living with my dad. So, you know, um, that was a, definitely a, a starting point. And then my dad had a band that he uh, at the time when I was in my teens that he was doing, you know, as a hobby at that point, he had originally earlier in his life been a sound man and worked on the road with other bands. And he'd had some projects that he'd been, you know, more serious about. But at the time that I was living with him in my teens, he had a band just for, for fun. And I started singing with that band. And that was also my first experiences on stage. Uh, I had to go to the green room right after the show would end because I was underage and wasn't allowed to be in the bar unless I was performing. Um, but that was my first experiences with, you know, with being in the in the bars doing live music. And 
So, you know, I, I definitely got a lot of my first taste of music and live music from my father. Also, like music festivals that my parents took me to, like the Vancouver Island Folk Festival and, and other places where I got to see musicians on stage for the first time. I quite often ask people what their inspiration was, what drew them to the blues in particular, and quite often the answer is the honesty and rawness of the music and the lyrics. Was that the case mm-hmm. with you? Yeah, I think, I mean, I ended up later in a bar band uh, years later um, after I'd left my dad and been on my own for a while. Uh, I moved from Vancouver, where I was living at the time, back to Vancouver Island, where my mom and my sisters were living, and I was reconnecting with them. And I put an ad in the paper and ended up in a cover band for, I guess it was about three or four years. And that really showed me sort of what I preferred to sing, because prior to that, I loved all different styles of music, and I still do today. But at that time, being in the bar band, we were doing everything, you know, from top 40 to classic rock, uh, all kinds of stuff. And so that's where I really realized that I enjoyed more to sing, you know, uh, the Janis Joplin stuff or, yeah, I mean, some ACDC or, you know, kind of more the blues or the blues rock stuff was what I really enjoyed the most myself. And it's also what I noticed the fans or the people that were coming to the bar, bar gigs anyways were resonating with. And so that was when I sort of my love for it grew and I started to write a little bit more in that strain when I was doing my songwriting but I also went to a blues workshop on Hornby Island in British Columbia and met a bunch of uh, really wonderful musicians that are you know well-known professional musicians in Canada that were teaching at this blues workshop and I was quite young at the time and I was thinking of leaving the bar band and trying to do something go out on my own and many of them at the workshop actually told me you know you could have a career in music and if you want to pursue this, you know, you, you could go far or whatever they said to me back then, you know, uh, and that really also kind of sealed the deal that I ended up leaving the bar band and going out on my own and starting to, you know, take it more seriously and made the move to Toronto, etc. And you're not averse to singing a bit of gospel. You actually uh, went on the streets of Germany with Susan Tedeschi, didn't you? Yes, I was. I, well, I was actually there to see the concert that night and I was very close friends with uh, Kofi Burbridge, who was the flute and keys player for uh, Derek Trucks and then later for Tedeschi Trucks Band for years. I met him and Derek when, uh, yeah, I don't even remember how old I was now, very young in Vancouver when they were playing, and we always kept in touch and were good friends. And so I was there to see the show, and then I was hanging out with the band, you know, after the show, and we all went to a local bar, and I'd been doing a gospel series, you know, for... Yeah, like maybe a year at that point. I was doing a, a gospel song a cappella and posting it to my Facebook page every Sunday. And so at that point, I was at number 50, and I was trying to make it to 100, and I thought I wanted to do something special for the number 50. And so I just asked Susan when we were all sitting there, you know, having a drink, if she would, you know, sing some gospel with me. So we just walked off away from everyone at the bar and went into a you know, a quiet spot, and then uh, I taught her something quickly that I knew already, and then we just sang it back and forth, and, and uh, on the first take, that's what I posted, and <laughs> <laughs> it's had quite a few views, and it was really, really uh, very kind of her. I mean, it was a great, great moment together, because I've always really admired her. I mean, she's got a beautiful personality, too, but I've always really admired her, yeah, stage presence, and her voice is incredible, and, and obviously her guitar playing is also very strong, so it was really... Uh, a magic moment that I won't forget. Yeah. The show that I do is called Shades of Blues, and you recorded an album called Shades of Blue back in 2006. I know. When I looked up your <laughs> yeah your radio program and looked online, I saw that, and I thought that was quite 
quite a coincidence. Well, <laughs> that was great. The number of people that still refer to this show as Shades of Blue, they miss the S off the end. Okay. It, um, it, it slightly frustrates me, I must confess, but hey-ho, I can live with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but... It's better than it's better than they calling it shades of gray these days. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's not go there, eh? Um, <laughs> but you've won awards all over the place. Finland is one that jumps out at me. The Compo Ten Blues Songwriting Competition in Finland. How did that happen? Yeah, that was the. Yeah, that was just like I was, you know, on the computer, and you know, looking for opportunities for my music as I often do and still to this day do. And if I see something like. You know, I also had entered songs, obviously, in the last few years in the International Songwriting Competition in Nashville because they have, you know, celebrity judges that, you know, you just think, oh, you know, maybe someone will hear the song and you never know. Or just for the sake of, of listening to other songwriters and being included and your peers being able to also hear the songs, you know. So um, when I entered the one on, in Finland, I was very young. I mean, it was one of the first comp- contests I think I ever entered my music into. And uh, I just sent them a few MP3s, and it was being done by uh, judging by people online, I guess, you know, uh, were, were judging it uh, to get it down to the finals. So the semifinals, it was judged, you know, and just made it into the finals based on votes. Um, and then they actually flew me because I was in the top five or whatever it was in the finals from Canada to Finland. <laughs> so for me, it was a big thing. And it came at a good time in my life, too, when I needed to see some light um, as far as what was happening with my music. And when I was flown there, I was the only woman and the only Canadian that was competing. And I ended up winning the competition on Canada Day in Finland. So it was quite a, it was very uh, special moment. And then they also had me come back the following year, or it was two years later, I don't remember now, and perform at the festival that they hold there called the Puisto Blues, which is actually a well-known festival in Finland that has had, like, all of the blues greats, so it was a really cool experience. Well, talking of festivals, going back to Germany, the Grolsch Blues Festival in 2009, that's where you met uh, Henrik Freisleder. That's right. That was my first time playing in Germany, and actually they contacted me, yeah, a few years after winning that competition in Finland because they'd seen some videos on YouTube of me, so it was amazing. I don't know how... They ended up seeing those videos or who, you know, told them to take a look or what happened there. But they also ended up flying me from Canada. That was my first time going to Germany. They had me sit in with a band from Germany, which happened to be a side project that Henrik Freischletter was doing at the time called Five Live with some friends of his, including Tommy Schneller, who's a saxophone player, who's also was at one time on Henrik Freischletter's uh, record label, just like I was. And we toured together later. But that was, uh, you know, our first time on stage together. We never had a rehearsal. I just sent them some songs in advance. We did some originals of mine and some cover songs, and I went on stage with them after only a sound check. And we had an amazing show. The people loved it. And uh, after that, I ended up getting an agent uh, contacting me, wanting to book me again in Germany. And that's sort of when my career in Europe started because the Finland experience was great but it you know wasn't something that catapulted me into touring in Europe it was actually that show in Germany with Henrik that really made a big difference in my career in Europe this is one of the great ironies that blues scene is much bigger or much more appreciated over in Europe and elsewhere in the world so was it that warmth of feeling that welcome that made you decide to uproot and move to Germany yeah, that was quite a, a while later, but it was definitely uh, from working with Henrik and then continuing to come back over to Europe and tour 
And then I just found I was actually touring more of the year in Europe than I was in Canada. So uh, when the opportunity arose, it definitely made sense that I make the move. And I was prepared to do it. I'd already moved from Vancouver to Toronto, lived there for several years, then from Toronto to Montreal, lived there for several years. And both times those moves were made, you know, strategically for my music. I was trying to kind of emerge myself in different blues scenes in Canada so that I could get my name known, you know, around Canada. So uh, when I was uh, able to move to Germany, it was one of the best things I could have done for my career because at that point, you know, it really blossomed. I was able to play in a lot of smaller countries that I had not been able to afford to play before because every time you're flying from Canada, obviously, is a huge expense, you know, on the tour costs. So when I moved over, then I was able to play... Yeah, I mean, so many new countries like Romania and, uh, you know, Budapest and Czech Republic and, you know, the list goes on. I'd already been touring in Germany, Belgium, Luxembourg and France prior to moving over to Europe. But after I moved, it really opened up new opportunities and obviously the chance to take single shows and not just book tours where I had to come over for a set amount of time, you know, and put all the shows close together and then go back to Canada. But then I was able to take you know, uh, gigs when they came to me. And so, uh, you know, it was difficult to leave my friends and family in Canada, and it's still hard to be away from them, especially during a time like now. But uh, for my music, it was definitely one of the best things I could have done was move to Europe. When you did move to Europe, one thing you did was sign up with Roof Records. Um, Yeah, well, first I signed with Henrik Freischlatter and worked with him and made three albums. And then it felt like I needed something new. You know, I was looking for... Yeah, new opportunity, and Henrik also at that time had said that, uh, you know, maybe, yeah, there, there's not, I don't know if there's much more I can do for you right now, you know, um, and so I had been approached by Thomas Roof about doing the Blues Caravan and signing with his label much, you know, long before I actually did it, so then I went back to Thomas and spoke to him, and, and uh, we decided to make an arrangement for, and we made a contract for two records, which is what I did, and, and uh we did the Blues Caravan. I was uh, on tour with Ina Forsman from Finland and Tasha Taylor from the United States, and it was a really wonderful experience for me to be on stage with other women, to work with a band that wasn't mine because we were not able to bring our own bands. We were all working together with a band that had been put together by the label, and to work so hard because we did a lot of shows in, you know, in the time that I was with Roof Records. So for me it was yeah taking it to a different level and it was a great experience and the thing i really appreciate from that time period and working with thomas roof was that i was able to tour in the united states because of him so it's something that i'm very grateful for because we had a lot of fun in the u.s and also i'd really wanted to do it for a long time so i was very grateful that that opportunity came uh, due to signing with roof records 2016 when you did the blues caravan it wasn't only a busy time, but also a rewarding time because you won the Best Vocalist at the European Blues Awards, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, that, you know, I mean, always with those contests, you never kind of know who's running it or who's judging what's going on. But I guess that one, again, was, you know, based on votes. And so that really showed that, you know, more people in Europe, all over Europe, knew who I was and had been listening to the albums I'd been releasing over the years. And I have always worked very hard at my music. It's really, you know something that I'm passionate about and have been since I was young. So it was definitely nice to see that people, yeah, you know, were acknowledging that hard work. I think that's all it comes down to with those competitions because we know that in music it's really a personal taste and so everybody has the right to like what they like and 
some people like what I do and some people don't, but definitely in that moment, again, during that time, it was, you know, a nice boost, you know, that I was in the right direction, you know, people were hearing the music and enjoying it. And we were saying prior to this interview, and uh, you touched on it during the interview, that you played all over the place, and blues is international. And in 2018, you were at the Mahindra Blues Festival in India. Yeah. <laughs> that sure. was. It's sometimes it's still hard to believe. You know, it was, it was so cool uh, when my agent contacted me and told me that they had contacted him and that there was a blues festival in Mumbai, India, because I'd always wanted to visit India. And again, there's a lot of places I've visited you know, in my life because of music that I never would have been able to visit otherwise or maybe would have never visited because I wouldn't have been able to afford it or for whatever reason. So, you know, it's really a thrill when I can go somewhere new and sing for new people. And this was a particularly well-known, established, you know, uh, big festival in India uh, for the blues and, you know, had some other artists that were, you know, big on the list like John Mayle and... uh, Walter Wolfman Washington and, and Coco Montoya, who I'd met before, who's a great guy, a great player. And so, you know, it was really cool. I was the only woman, you know, uh, hired for that festival as a as a headliner. So that was also like, you know, something to be proud of and uh, grateful to be there. And uh, we just had like such an amazing experience because they flew the band out, my, my tour manager out, all of us as a team put us in a five-star hotel and we were treated really like gold the entire time we had a wonderful time on stage and the the fans were so cool and so grateful so it was like really something that i'll never forget it was a highlight of my career one of the highlights a year after the mumbai festival you released the well you did the retrospective tour and then released a double live album which you produced yourself didn't you yeah, well, first I uh, worked on the album Gemini after I left Roof Records, which was an important album. Um, I'd wanted to make that album for a long time, and it just hadn't been something that the label was interested in or, you know, that he was completely supportive of. And so I ended up leaving the label and going, making it, you know, independently with crowdfunding as my income source for that record. And then working with a guitar player that I'd been on stage with for years and co-writing with him. He was also a Gemini. And I'm really proud of that record because we worked very hard on it. It was also, you know, breaking away from labels after being with them for such a long time. And then that showed me that when I did that and, and uh, you know, worked on my own terms with other people that I believed, you know, also believed in the project and were working hard, that something really beautiful could come out of it. Because the issue sometimes with some labels is just the deadline that you're on or the budget that you have to deal with, or perhaps someone's pushing you in a direction that they want you to work with a certain producer or et cetera, et cetera. And so Gemini was really a strong record that came out of, you know, that kind of break away from labels. And, uh, oh, and sorry, I should say, Jan Lax produced Gemini, uh, or is, you know, producer, but I had a huge part in working on that record with him. We worked on that together. So uh, after that, I went on to to self-produce the Retrospective Tour album, which was live, and we had so much fun on that tour. And then I just released the Nowhere Left to Go in January, which was also self-produced. Now I'm sort of open to, yeah, ideas. I have a few ideas of what I'd like to do next. I'm working on some co-writing already. I'm not exactly sure if I'll record this year or next year, but I have some thoughts about what I want to do next. So the funny thing with me is always as soon as the project is finished, you know, even when it's not quite finished yet, I'm still kind of already thinking about what's next, you know, Mm -hmm. and I rarely 
go back and listen to the albums a lot because for me I'm kind of already thinking about what I would like to express with the next one or writing for the next one. But the reviews and the airplay that I've received from this last record has really, again, shown me, you know, that, uh, yeah, I can trust my my uh, decisions and my sense of what's happening when it comes to my my music, you know. Talking about following your instincts, and you were saying earlier about getting advice and help from people within the industry. When you're acting as a producer, who do you turn to to say, what do you think about this? Well, I mean, I had that feeling with the Nowhere Left to Go album. With the live album, it's it's a bit easier because, of course, you, you do what you do on stage and you just need a really good engineer to make a great mix and master of a live album, you know, as long as you've got a good recording to work with. So that's a bit easier. I mean, maybe song order changes or maybe something gets cut, but it's a lot easier to be a producer on a live album, I think, in my opinion. When it comes to a studio album and doing the production, it was nerve-wracking for me. There was definitely some moments where I had doubts or where I was hoping, you know, that it would be received as well as I hoped that it would or thought that it would. But you just never know. I mean, especially when you've worked with some really, you know, great people over the years, there might be more expectation on your first, you know, debut uh, of self-production again. So I had produced albums earlier in my career um, years ago in Canada because, I mean, this last album is my 15th album. So some of those earlier albums that I worked on, I was still really in the phase of learning. So this was like coming back to producing again but like with so much more information so much more experience and knowledge and wisdom and connections with new people and so uh you know i knew that it would be something special compared to some of those albums i made when i was younger but i still decided to take a lot of chances and take risks and i think that's an important thing that we need to do with our art so when i brought so many different co-writers in that was you know something that i hadn't done for years I'd always kind of worked with maybe one or two co-writers for an entire album every time so this was like a new thing to have six or seven co-writers working with me on the record and then for them to all be long distance and and ask them to also play on the album you know with them sending their tracks from home studios due to the pandemic and the lockdown so it was really turned out to be like a very big project in a lot of ways but it showed me that my communication skills were strong that I was able to work with all kinds of people under all kinds of circumstances. And I think that's really just from years and years and years of experience, you know. And I knew what I wanted to write about with the songs, and I was really lucky because, you know, the co-writers sent me some fantastic demos. So, you know, the demos and the lyrics went together great, and, and it all kind of happened very organically, I would say. You talk about utilising technology. When I'm trying to do these interviews, some people request that we do it via Zoom, which is something totally new to me, and I feel absolutely terrified about using it. But you embraced it, and you got all the musicians to do their part using that technique, didn't you? Yeah, well, in the end, everybody just recorded in home studios. There was a couple people that recorded in studios that were owned by friends of theirs or where they didn't have to pay a fee because I'd already said that I didn't have the, the budget from the crowdfunding to be able to pay for anyone to go into a paid studio situation. So I also contacted people for the rhythm section that I knew already had good, strong home studio setups there at their houses, you know, because they were people I'd worked with in the past. And so I kind of knew that I put a good, a good foundation for the project because of the people I was working with. And then I just had to wait and see, you know, did, was my intentions right? Was my, 
um, thoughts about everyone right that they would follow through and do their parts on time and that everybody would go back and redo something if it needed to be redone and of course right now like a lot of musicians had a lot more time on their hands than they had before and everybody wanted to keep creating and everybody needed money and wanted to be paid and so everybody worked so well together and of course in the end it still comes down to the engineer and myself deciding the final things and I was really lucky to work with Niels Volker who's a uh, sound man that also uh, was recording the and working as engineer to mix and master the retrospective tour album the live album we were talking about and so I asked him if we would do this studio album together and, and uh, he did a great job we had so much fun we became close friends from this project and so I think it all just came together as it was meant to be. Reading one of the reviews of the new album, it says Nowhere Left to Go suggests that the real musical journey for Layla Zoe is just beginning. Is that how you see it? Yeah, I mean, I think that always, like, there's something more that I want to do or want to express. I don't know if there'll come a time when I don't want to make records anymore. I think, luckily, that's something that's helped me to get through my perspective of everything that's happening right now because although I've never really loved being in the studio or loved making records as much as I love being on stage, the fact that I can't be on stage right now or that it's certainly not being made easy for me to be on stage has led me then back to making records and knowing that at least I can bring people new music in that way. And that is so important. So I've kind of grown a new love for the idea of making albums again because you know, uh, that there was times when I thought, oh, why am I here in the studio? You know, I want to be on stage where I can feel the energy of the people because that's where I sing the best. But to be able to make music at all right now is really uh, a blessing. And I'm very grateful to be able to work on these projects with talented musicians and, you know, people that are, are focused on, yeah, creating music because without that, I think it would be a much darker time for me and for many other musicians. So. And you were saying that when you're coming to the end of a project, you're already looking to the next project. As we said, it's hard to plan anything at the moment, but what are you planning on doing next? Well, I have some different ideas. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things I still want to do that I haven't done yet. And so there's, there's ideas like I'd always wanted to do a cover album. Um, not I love you know to write songs and obviously my songwriting has just gotten stronger and stronger over the years that was one idea that I have um, was to you know take some of my favorite songs and you know change them you know in a way where where they're more unique still to me so at some point I'd like to do that I'd, I'd considered doing a gospel record before I've had lots of requests from that from fans you know um, I have ideas for concept records also story a story album so there's lots of things yet to do I don't want to say exactly what my plan is yet because I'm still working on things and right now just doing some co-writing to see if some great songs start to come yeah together with some new co-writers that I'm uh, talking to because the last album I had such a great time with those co-writers and I learned a lot and I think that people definitely noticed with the album that there was yeah, different uh, flavor to it and a different sound because I worked with lots of different people and lots of people came together, you know, to make it. So I am going to take that good feeling and, and take it a step further and see what happens next, but I don't want to give away any secrets yet. Okay. <laughs> it's too soon. It's too <laughs> soon. I'm already, I'm still just promoting this last record, but I am one step ahead in that I'm already co-writing for the next one. So that's positive. Yeah. And we'll see, like, I would really love to 
yeah, release another album at the end of this year or possibly the beginning of next year. So we'll see if I can make it happen. I did also leave social media. For that reason, too, I will only be able to connect with the fans that are really connected to me through the mailing list and through the Patreon, etc. And then, of course, through word of mouth and stuff. So when I go to do the crowdfunding, uh, if I want to make another record in that same way, then I will, yeah, it might be a little more difficult, you know. So I'll have to see how all of that kind of plays out. I'm mm-hmm. also open to working with a label again, um, if it's the right person, and uh, also to working with a producer again, if it's the right person. So I'm not really stuck in my way on anything. I'm sort of, it's more about the music that I have ideas behind, you know, what I want to talk about on the on the record, who I want to write with, but the rest of it, anything could happen. Yeah. <laughs> Exciting times. And uh, <laughs> I thank you for taking time out to do this, and I wish you all the best with the future. It is a superb album. You must be so proud. And I can't wait Thank for the you next so one. much. Thank you so much. I, I hopefully we'll be able to have the tour next year, and it won't change. You know, we had to postpone it to 2022. So obviously, it's knowing that I have a lot more time off again to focus on recording. But I really appreciate uh, people, you know, uh, stepping up and making sure that musicians are are still, you know having the chance to communicate even about the records. I've had lots of great interviews this year and a lot of support from DJs. And and so that's been really special. I think that everybody in the community and in the business has come together and tried to help each other and make the best of a difficult situation. So let's carry on in that in that light. What more can we say? Thank you so much, Layla. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank uh, you, Kev. Have a great night there. And all the uh, best for the year. And I hope you enjoyed that little interview there. And there will be more as we record more for the show. And we are going to delve into the archives and pull some of the old ones out as well. So plenty more to come. And of course, if you want to hear the whole show, there is always Listen Again. I'll see you next time. Take care.